Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Monday, April 4th, not past April 1st. I hope you survived that successfully on Friday with all the jokes that were going on. Several tried to be pulled on me, but didn't work. Had a great time. Other than looking at the markets, and I tell you, this is no joke what's going on where we're at interest rates. Talking about that, we were just talking about that with Matt Graham. Can't wait to get him on talking about that. But today is, again, April 4th. Good to have you with us. This podcast is created by Mortgage Professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. And we are hearing some great places people are listening to us from. But we're so grateful to have our expanding audience. And uh, several people have said we're the number one podcast when it comes to the, set, the part of the industry we cover. I like to think so. We're grateful to have you here. So let's go into this. Uh, this Today, we're going to call it a Jack Attack. This week, we have as our special guest, Jack Connick. He's Executive Director of Government Affairs at Wiener Brodsky, Eider. And uh, we're going to be discussing changes in D.C. and with the new administration that has made leadership of the various federal agencies that impact the mortgage lending and what effects that will have as we look forward to the this year and what's going on. I that's that's what we kind of wrote down as an opening, but let me tell you what's really there. I sat and listened to Jack Connick and uh, Brian Montgomery do a presentation in Phoenix about a month ago, and I so thoroughly enjoyed it. I said I've got to get both of these guys on the podcast. So we finally caught up with Brian, working on uh, getting him on. Um, but Jack is here this week, and um, can't wait to share some of the insights that he shared with us folks we are in different times that we've ever seen ourselves so you got to stay tuned for the hot topic because we're going to cover a lot of that also joining me of course is my co-host jack nunnery so hence the jack attack or jack two so uh the 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 jack squared factor here so mr nunnery always fun to have you on the podcast good to have you joining in he's got a new microphone and he's learning to turn it on and off and all those fun things. I hit you out of tur- turn, Jack, so I'm, that's all right. Don't have to come on. You're not being bashful. Anyway, let's go on. Say, Industry Syndicate, proud to have them as a part of the industry. Or we're part of, proud of the, be a part of Industry Syndicate. They do a great job uh, with uh, promoting a number of podcasts out there. We're part of them, and we're grateful that they promote us. So check out all the podcasts at industrysyndicate.com. Also, our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, as well as Finastra, Mortgage Bot Solution, which is a great place, has robust features such as user-defined groups for processors, underwriters, and closers. Some great stuff. Go listen to the interview we did back on March 7th with Chris Zingo, who is the America's president. I always like that title. He's managing director, president of the Americas, like everything from North America to South America and everything in between. Anyway, so good. I enjoyed that interview and his energy. Also, the two co-ops, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative, both of these are sponsors. 
Uh, again, I already talked about the Lenders One conference we had in Phoenix. Jack is here as a result of his presentation, and also the Mortgage Collaborative, which I was at the two weeks following in Miami. And that was another one of the conferences. And at both of these, these two conferences are organized. It represents how different these two organizations are, but yet they serve the basic need. Let's get lenders and vendors together in a smaller, more intimate setting and talk about your businesses in a way that you cannot anticipate or get from being a part of the National MBA. Now, you should belong to the National MBA. That's number one. Don't put off being a member of the co-ops without being a member of the MBA. Let's make that certain. But if you're a member of the MBA, then join one, or I recommend both of these co-ops. You'll get something out of it. Also, Total Expert is an outstanding, leading fintech software company that delivers purpose-built CRM and customer engagement for the modern financial institution. When they talk about purpose-built, you've got to go back and listen to the interview I did with Joe Weldu. Uh, well, you and Joe, that was on March 14th. I met Joe also and listened to him present at the uh, Mortgage Collaborative Conference in Miami. Man, they've got a vision. These guys are unstoppable. You've got to check them out. If you have another CRM, it's probably, it's probably serving you well, but you've got to check out what Total Expert is doing. TE has got it. Uh, they're on top of it. Joe's vision. Amazing, and the team he's brought together. Also, Knowledge Cube, Ken Perry, they launched. We did a podcast on Friday. Go listen to the special podcast where we, uh, Ken Perry and I caught up, and they talks about the his talks about his new coop, the uh, the mortgage coop or the Knowledge Cube, excuse me, the Knowledge Cube that serves the mortgage industry and others. So I am excited to have them um, as a sponsor, uh, and we're also part of a. 7A Mastermind Group. Such a cool deal. Anyway, Mobility MMI and Modex, both of these companies help you with uh, finding top recruits in the various markets that you serve, as well as SnapDocs. Get their tools and the support. They do a great job to implement e-mortgage technology effectively. And with SnapDocs, the e-mortgage quick start program is something you've got to check out. Go to listen to the interview we did on March 28th with Brianna Ings. It's a great interview. Enjoyed that a lot. Love her energy. Smart lady. Also, success kit, finding a way to find a way to communicate with your audience. Use the words of someone else. I love that proverb, let another mouth praise you, not that of your own. In other words, don't brag. Tell someone else to talk about you. That's what success kit does. Great job. Get a hold of Julian Lumpkin. Go listen to the interview to learn more about what you, this product by going to the interview we did with him on January 10th of this year, the beginning of the year. Also, lender toolkit. Brett Brumley and Brent Emler. These two guys are so much fun, but the product that they offer, what they're doing at Lender Toolkit, guys, is so innovative. They're right there with Form Free. What Brent Emler is doing as far as setting up and how we communicate, you got to check out these companies, guys. They're, they're amazing. We're so excited to have these sponsors with us. Also, DW Consulting, Debbie Wemus. I love Debbie and what she helps you do and create a really good LinkedIn profile. So you got your best foot forward at all times. Also, a special thank you goes out to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, Matt, and Jack. I hear you. Uh, you got your microphone turned on, Jack. Is it there? Is it there? Really there? It is. It is. Hopefully <laughs> this microphone works better than the ones I've had in the past, David. <laughs> well, it is sounding so much better. And now just as long as the internet holds, we'll have you for the whole podcast. Really looking forward to having you participate. Hey, let's get over to start off with the MBA Mortgage Minute with Rob Van Raphorst and see what he has for us. Rob? 
Hi, I'm Rob Van Rapphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the Biden administration released its FY 2023 budget proposal. The administration requested $71.9 billion for HUD. This was a 9% increase from FY 2022. Notable line items included $35 billion over seven years for a new housing supply fund, $100 million for a down payment assistance initiative, $15 million in subsidies to support a $3.4 billion pilot program related to loans with equity accelerating features and funding to further support technology and system upgrades. The president's budget proposal is simply a blueprint of the administration's priorities provided to Congress as it begins its budget and appropriations process. And finally, be sure to check out MBA's National Advocacy Conference April 26th through the 27th in Washington, D.C. To register, go to mba.org slash conferences. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Good job, Rob. Always love the Rob Van Rapphorst report from the MBA. There's so much going on. Be sure to join the MBA if you're not a member. Also, you do not have to be a member to have your voice heard on the Hill. Thanks to the MBA, it's creating something called the Mortgage Action Alliance app. They created an app. We call it Maw Mortgage Action Alliance, but they do a great job of getting our voice heard. We're not the biggest industry out there compared to the Realtor Association, and they have such a large voice out there in the marketplace and on the Hill. Most of the time, their MBA works real hard to be synced up with all the other trade groups related to housing, but sometimes we have different interests. So I would encourage you to make sure you have your voice heard on the Hill, as in Washington, D.C., as the Beltway, as in the Capitol Hill, by getting and using the Mortgage Action Alliance app. They do a great job. Check it out. I'm so excited to – I'm thinking of inside the Beltway. I'm just thinking of our special guest in the Hot Topic segment, Jack Connick. Man, I'm looking so forward to this interview. Hey, let's get into what Lesser has with the TM Spotlight and a view, this week's view of the macro view of the markets. I love to hear his premier. TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Shock to EU and oils to flame. Putin gives oil a bad name. As expected, 255 brought in aggressive buying and the 10-year yield dropped to 230 in one week. A firm dollar and cratering oil fueled the move to lower rates. The war in Ukraine grinds on with pain on both sides, indicating a negotiated settlement happens. But Zelensky and EU leaders think the U.S. wants to drag out the war. So are Biden's sanctions designed to heat oil so he can cool it with green money and policies? Maybe, since it's not working. Oil's down 15% in one week. Joe gives oil a bad name. These views are my own. Avoid getting slapped by a good or bad actor at TMSpotlight.com. That's good. Avoid yeah. getting slapped by a bad actor. Oh, my gosh. Is that that little slap across there, it really got some legs and uh, took off. So, anyway, we're not going to touch that, Les Parker. I can't believe you slipped that in there. Good job, Les Park. He almost called in last week when we were talking about the Treasury, Matt. Anyway, let's get over to the Matt Graham, do the official engage engagement or introduction. We have with us the very exciting and dynamic personality of Matt Graham, founder and CEO of the MBS Live with his market update. Matt, good to have you here. Uh, along with all of your wisdom that we find on mbslive.net. Matt, good to have you, friend. 
Hey, good to be here, Dave. I'll try to bring yes. some wisdom to the uh, podcast, too, and not leave it all on MBS Live today. Yeah. But, uh, no yeah. promises. No problem. Well, you got a lot of wisdom up there, and it's, I love all this information. Man, that's our information rich, target rich, information rich. <laughs> target rich environment. Well, last Monday, we talked about, you know, the Treasury, we hit the high, and then overnight, a week ago, Sunday night, we saw the futures trading at, uh, I think it's, uh, what was it, 2.555, and then it was, uh, it opened up at 5.35 as the high, 2.535, I think was the high, and uh, last afterwards, I, I, went, I went on a podcast with one of the guys I've appeared on Fox Business uh, Channel with, and um, I was on their podcast, going to try to get him, he and his partner in on our podcast, but uh, he interviewed me, where's interest rates going, and I said, is it possible, and Les Parker created this, so and he did. He did say, "Alice, don't write this down because every time Alice writes it down, she holds his feet to the fire." She said, "Don't tell Alice to write this down, but it's possible. It could be." Now we saw the high water mark on interest rates for the year with the ten-year Treasury, and so it's interesting. Well, we're not going to hold less to that one, but I thought that was encouraging, just at the possibility. You think, well, what about all the Fed rate hikes? Well. Matt Graham is here, so we're going to talk about that. And Jack and I were, Matt, we're talking about that just before we went live. So, Matt, what do you got for us? Run through your overview of the markets, and then let's get back to that. Are we at the high? What could affect it? Sure thing, yeah. That sounds like a good plan. So, real quick, uh, last week was definitely a great week in many respects. It was the best week for bonds since early March and uh, arguably the best organic week of 2022, uh, and what do I mean by organic? Uh, that's a term that I like to use, uh, and I think some other people probably use it too, to describe movement that occurs for reasons that uh, aren't artificial. And uh, I guess if we're thinking about an artificial reason, it would be like the war in Ukraine breaking out and that creating a big flight to safety, uh, a safe haven bid for the bond market. And so although some of last week's rally is attributable to that sort of stuff, it wasn't anywhere near on the same scale as it was in late February, early March. And those were really the only other weeks of, uh, of 2022 that were comparable to last week. So it was the first big green candlestick on a candlestick chart that we've had in 2022, other than the one that coincided with the uh, outbreak of the war. So that is good. Uh, the cost for that was that yields had to rise to 2.55 in terms of 10, and that is always going to create more relative buying demand. As we've talked about the past several weeks, the higher yields move and the faster they get there, the more that we are creating uh, momentum building up in the other direction, an oversold condition that could give way to buying momentum or even value buying, if you will. So, um, you know, there, it does come with a cost, but to see it happen, to see it play out is a good thing. Uh, the first four days of the week were the best four days of the week, and then Friday, things pulled back a little bit. Um, so let's talk about we, we, why that we, might we be. We blamed you for that. We were blaming you. Yes, we yeah, you should. Yeah. It's yeah. always my fault, for yeah, sure. Um, so before, actually, before we get to Friday, we'll talk about a few things that happened earlier in the week thing and, and something that is sort of a topic of conversation at the mortgage and real estate cocktail parties is home prices still climbing year over year. So both Case Shiller and FHFA yep. were out with their uh, update, their monthly update, 
And uh, most people know this, but if you don't, it's just uh, it's good to, talking point to have in your toolkit. Those reports have a, a fair amount of lag. That's for the month of January when rates were first starting to rise. Plus, those transactions are closing in January, meaning they were locked or in process well before the rate spike. And that's one of the reasons that when we do actually see uh, rate spikes affect home prices, that it takes anywhere from four to seven months from the first big rate spike to the point that it shows up in the economic data. Uh, it should also be noted that we don't always see rate spikes correspond to drops in price appreciation. It should also be noted that rate spikes aren't, we're not saying that it makes prices go lower, we're saying it, it slows the pace of price appreciation. And that's very much in line with pretty much everybody's forecast for the rest of the year. Nobody expects homes to be able to continue to appreciate at 18 to 20% forever. Obviously, that's not going to be sustainable, and it's already been sustainable longer than a lot of people expected. So uh, the baseline forecast is still for that to come down, and we're definitely going to be able to point to higher rates as a culprit for that. But I think it's probably something that would be happening on its own anyway fairly soon just because, you know, there's only so many 20% year-over-year gains you can have month in and month out before uh, people are out of money to, to buy houses. And, uh, yeah, so those are the talking points on home price appreciation. All right. Give it some time. We'll see the see the the curve start to flatten a little bit there. So weakness on Friday, bonds lost some ground. It was also NFP Friday, the big jobs report. So was it the jobs report that hurt bonds? Um, no, not at all. In fact, bonds really don't care about the jobs report very much these days. Uh, jobs report Friday is always going to be an important trading day because whether or not the market is focused on the actual labor market implications, it always serves as the sort of cool place to be and to initiate new trading ideas or to capitalize on, on extra liquidity and volatility on uh, NFP Friday. And uh, also it happened to be the first trading day of a new month. And uh, that created some interesting dynamics and that new month dynamic probably accounts for more of the weakness than any trading ideas that were, uh, you know, surrounding the jobs report or capitalizing on that jobs report volatility. Specifically, mm -hmm. the narrative in general is something like this. We have month-end trading coming into the end of March, also quarter-end trading, and investors needing to hold a certain mix of bonds based on the entire quarter, uh, first quarter of 2022, and that created extra bond buying demand relative to what we otherwise might be seeing if traders were simply trading based on what they thought the future direction of rates would be. So that could explain some of the uh, positivity through the course of the week. And then on Friday, they would no longer be beholden to those requirements to have those uh, bonds on their books. And thus, sellers would be a bit more in control. Very notably, most of the weakness on Friday was in place before for the jobs report. And yeah. by the end of the day, uh, yields had actually fallen below those opening levels. So the jobs report not only had no impact on rates by the end of the day, but if you were going to say it had an impact, the day ended up being positive relative to opening levels. So it was actually a decent day, one that sort of served to confirm the recent sideways range, or at least begin to confirm it. 
Now this week we have uh, rates opening up fairly flat. And so hope is still alive for that 2.55 ceiling uh, for a broader bond market consolidation. I think the average analyst or trader is not necessarily betting on that, but they're entertaining it as a, an outside chance. It's a possibility. It's the first real possibility we've had so far in 2022. Um, what else do we have? Coming up this week, Fed, Fed, and more Fed. Wednesday afternoon, FOMC minutes. These are the minutes from the meeting that occurred three weeks ago, a more detailed account of that meeting. That'll be Wednesday at 2 p.m., and uh, market participants will, of course, be curious to see what the discussion is like as it concerns balance sheet normalization. So this is how the Fed will let bond buying efforts roll off the balance sheet by capping reinvestment amounts for both treasuries and MBS. Of special interest to our industry is the MBS-specific nature of what the Fed is probably talking about. Uh, we know they're talking about returning to a treasury-only portfolio Curious to see how they're going to go about that. It's going to be hard for them to sell MBS in this environment, but it will be very easy for them to cap reinvestments and let MBS roll off naturally. And so they may end up just going with a very aggressive roll-off strategy. Um, the, the bond market is already planning on seeing something like that fairly soon. So um, it's going to be hard to surprise MBS too much. Spreads have widened out quite a bit. They could widen out a bit more. They probably will by the time normalization is done. But uh, if they've widened, you know, 50 to 60 basis points so far, uh, we're personally at MBS Live thinking maybe another 20 to 30 uh, over the course of this year as normalization begins uh, as sort of a baseline. But there's some variability in there. ISM non-manufacturing on Tuesday is the only other semi-interesting piece of uh, calendar data this week, and there really aren't any other major economic reports. Still, Ukraine-related trading can go on, and that's a double-edged sword. Oh, uh, yeah, and this also goes back to last week, too. Um, what I saw at the beginning of last week was a series of headlines regarding what we now have confirmed, which is Russia pulling out of most of Western and, and Northern Ukraine and uh, going back to the separatist territories and fighting the war there. And at first, those headlines were taken as some sort of sign of an impending ceasefire. And when that was happening, we were seeing oil prices move lower fairly precipitously. And we were also interestingly seeing bond yields move lower. And that, the reason that's interesting is because you would think a de-escalation in the war would be bad for bonds because it would promote right. you know, flight to quality in stocks. And here's the super interesting thing, David, is that if we break out 10-year yields in terms of their nominal yield and their inflation-only component, or their inflation-free component, I should say, uh, then we get the inflation-only component, otherwise known as market-based inflation expectations or TIPS break-evens for the 10-year um, inflation treasury inflation-protected securities. So we actually see those uh, inflation-free yields did not rally. They didn't move lower in line with the rest of the bond market. Uh, they were, if anything, slightly higher on the week. Nominal yields moved lower because inflation expectations moved lower. Now, they're still higher than any other time before March 7th, but uh, they're much lower than they were on March 25th, so before the start of last week. And that is what accounts for that treasury rally. It was all inflation-related, all of the inflation component 
and inflation free yields actually were slightly higher, indicating that um, you know a lot of the fear that was being priced into the market surrounding the Ukraine situation has been priced out. And now we're just waiting to see, you know, if this indeed can be a ceiling around 2.55, but that's going to depend on what happens in the Ukraine, what happens, sorry, the Ukraine, that's a no-no right now, what happens in Ukraine, and uh, what happens with incoming inflation data in the U.S., and what the Fed has to say about all of it on Wednesday afternoon, which is, of course, a look back three weeks ago, but it'll be new information for the markets anyway. Yeah, we're looking for the any indication, and that's what the markets do. And that's why people need to have a service like yours, Matt, um, because to stay on top of all of it, it's so dynamic. When someone looks a certain way or says something that seems to be indicating something other than a direction that's anticipated or that's in the market, they can move so quickly. And we've seen the adjustments quickly. <laughs> By the way, Les Parker texted back. He says, I hope Matt is well, – no, what did he say? Matt better get it right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I always love the Parker when he dials in anytime, but he's got a great sense of humor. But yeah, I think you got it right. And you don't do this because Les will go in there, but let's see if I got the sound bite right. Let's see. Oh, no, I was trying to find the sound bites of fools rush in where angels fear to tread. I sound a ringtone, but this one didn't do it. So anyway, probably in the song, but it's an old version of a big band sound. But I'm trying to be cute and bring in that sound tone. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about the 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 treasury you touched on it is what is what would be factors when we've seen all the announcements out there that fed feds can raise 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 consistently going all out to control inflation even though it's government sponsored government induced inflation as far as i'm concerned and then i look at this new spending bill that uh that uh, uh was just talked about and go like are you serious i mean um golly matt um what Rob had to say about the spending is just continues to be worrisome. So what do you see is what are the conditions in which we would see interest rates possibly uh, be at the max Fed doesn't follow through. Yeah, um, so I'll push back just a little bit on the political angle and, and bring some balance to it from my own uh, point of view, which is that I do think that there is a fiscal ask to uh, inflation that we've seen domestically I think most of that has to do with the cash payments uh, that occurred with the COVID relief. New spending bill, obviously, anytime we're putting you know more money into the economy and, and uh, financing more in terms of treasury debt, there is going to be some impact on inflation. I think that with inflation being as global as it is right now, um, that by and large, the consensus that I'm seeing anyway is that it is I nobody's really put a percentage on it. I don't think anybody really could, but I think a large portion of it has to do with supply chain shocks. And, uh, you know, just the fact that we had a just in time economy we have for quite some time. And so when you put as big of a disruption into that as you did in 2020, uh, we're still catching up with that. And of course, if we have material or labor shortages, which we know we do, then that's only going to add to that. And I think things may have been on a path to leveling off better in terms of inflation before the Ukraine thing. And and then, you know, energy prices and food prices around the world, it's not as big of an issue for the U.S., but it's a massive issue for Africa oh, yeah. and the Middle East. And, um, you know, it, it just sends shockwaves both in terms of actual price inflation and then also price inflation fears that cause markets to 
uh, adjust their forward-looking expectations for what things might cost, and it just threw a big wrench in the works. So that is one of the things that could help answer this question of whether we've seen a ceiling is the extent to which those inflation expectations can come under control. That'll have something to do with foreign central bank policies and the Fed. By the Fed's own admission, and a little bit of an ironic thing to think about right now, is they have previously said, we can't do much to control inflation because it's this supply-driven thing. But, oh, by the way, we still got to be really aggressive hiking rates so we can control inflation. Um, <laughs> as I said, uh, I think last week or the week before, they can't sit on their hands and do nothing. You know, they no. have to adjust policy in, in such a way it looks like they're fighting this. Um, but, you know, will, how much will that help in the short term? I, I don't know. I think it's still a, an issue of the supply chain stuff having to work itself out. Yeah, you could get a little bit of a bump here and there from uh, fiscal stuff, and we've certainly seen that in the past, but not just for spending, also for like the tax bill. There was, you know, a concern about a decrease in revenue that also uh, was inflationary as we'd have to issue more treasury debt to pay for stuff. So there's two different ways to approach that from the government standpoint, but I don't want to give either side of the aisle too much credit for being able to do too much mm -hmm. about the inflation that we're currently seeing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I think that it's better to spend less than to spend more, but the, the big bogeyman as far as the global market is concerned is the, the supply chain. Um, as far as yields at, at 2.5, give or take, uh, inflation and the Fed, those would be the, the big two. I think once the, mark, the market's definitely priced in a vast majority of what they think the Fed's going to do. Every big move higher is another great chance for things to level off. Um, yep. And we might need a few more, but we might not. So we have a little yep. bit of a chance to might not need a few more, but the, if we do see a little bit more, then it takes us one step closer. Maybe it's 2.75. Either yep. way, uh, one would hope we're getting pretty close, and I, I think we're probably getting reasonably close at this point. I agree with you 100%. Man, we could go on and on about this. There's always fun to get uh, Dr. Nunnery's thoughts on this, but we got to move on. So anyway, Matt, thanks so much. Appreciate you. I got to find that song because that'll be your theme song. Fools rush in where angels fear tread. You don't make, you don't make project predictions. And so anyway, I thought you did a good job. I don't care what Parker says. He didn't say anything. <laughs> he is texting me back and forth here. So anyway, we, we appreciate you, Matt, so much. You do an awesome job, and your service is amazing. And so I should make sure you say, if you want to sign up for that, for the mbslive.net.net, remember .net, be sure to use the LO, uh, put LOL in the sign-up code and give you an extended trial period without a credit card. And also, I didn't give Les Parker a shout-out. If you want to sign up for the TM Spotlight newsletter, be, the paid version, be sure to you put in the word POWER. Both of these are just really will help you understand the markets. Good job, Matt. Appreciate you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Dave. You too. You bet, bud. Let's get over to Alice Alvey. Alice Alvey is CMB Vice President of Education and Training at our, our favorite Union Home Mortgage, the one and only Union Home Mortgage. And here's the legislative update. Alice, so good to have you here. Thanks, Dave. Boy, that was great listening to all of Matt's detail. I was taking notes. So, um, but I, That's and you know good. what? I don't have to write down Les's predictions. The show's recorded. <laughs> 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 there you go. Anyway, so.
So I have some good news at the end of my report. I'm going to save it for the end, but I'm going to start with, I know everybody was super excited when they saw that the guide to Humda reporting, getting it right, is now available. I know that there were a lot of people waiting for this to be published, as well as the Humda data is out there. A lot of great stuff within the Humda data for sales. Um, So that's usually a a great dissect to dump into your databases and try and figure out um, what homeowners you're going to go after. So, But uh, just a heads up, that was uh, I always laugh when that comes out. I'm like, okay, just the compliance officers are excited about getting that one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's so fun to see the compliance excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're the only ones going, yeah. Well, by the way, for all of you out there who don't have to do anything with the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act annual reporting, the next time you see the person at your company who has to do that, just thank them so that you don't have to do it. Um, but then there's the, the other thing I want to point out is neighborhood watch numbers. Uh, watch those closely. One of the indicators that uh, we've been talking about is if your forbearance rate is 50% or less of what is sitting out there in your neighborhood watch delinquencies, you should be careful because HUD, most lenders out there, most of their uh, delinquencies that are causing their compare ratios to be a little higher uh, is due to the loans that are in forbearance. And so if you're below that 50% mark, then you're out of the norm for what HUD is expecting. And if you've got that in combination with a high compare ratio, uh, you will possibly be on HUD's radar. So just a heads up there that that's a component now to put with it. Uh, the other thing is just heads up with CFPB and uh, reordering and getting that second appraisal. Uh, there's some issues in the market, it seems, um, as we're all dealing with uh, inflationary uh, home prices and even in refinances, consumers wanting to get a second appraisal. So in a purchase, it's a different world. You can usually go, well, I shouldn't say usually, but many times you can go out and get some better data. Um, but just a heads up for your appraiser independence that, uh, and that you're following those policies closely, uh, remembering that to get that second appraisal, you really need to have a solid, bona fide, pre- or post-funding appraisal Ooh. review and QC process and solid underwriting guidelines around it, and you've got to stick to the requirements that the agency set up. So it can't just be, hey, it came in low, Can we, the borrower wants more cash out or whatever your circumstance especially on your refis, be super careful. So just a heads up on that one, a new thing that CFPB has on their radar. So last but not least, my good news, it's just about time to get HUD's first quarter report on the Mutual Mortgage Insurance Fund, and maybe we will finally have enough history under our belt that we will get reduced FHA premiums. Can't guarantee it because HUD can always mess with the numbers with the lower volumes and all the shift in the market. But they've got a lot of cash, and so there are some folks out there right now who are thinking, cross your fingers, maybe once we get this quarter's data, we can see a change in FHA uh, annual and or upfront premiums. It'll be interesting to see how any change they make would compare to agency LLPAs, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. So uh, maybe that's the little bump in the market we all would like to see to get some more FHA loans in the door. Yeah. So that's my report for today, Dave. Good job, Alice. That'll be very, very, very good. So uh, if you want to listen to all of Alice's segments, so many people want to go back because she does 
give a lot of information quickly, go to the website, lookatunlending.com, and look under the podcast, and you'll see a drop-down menu, and you can see all of Alice's segments, just hers. So you can have a full dose of Alice. Alice, thanks so much for being here. I'm looking at the clock. We need to continue moving on so we get to our special guest. we got one more segment. That's Alan Pollock. But, Alice, thank you so much. Be sure to greet your husband, Andy. He's such an awesome guy. And uh, sorry to hear he got caught in the Florida weather situation. That was so bad. But uh, Abe travels to him as he journeys home. But anyway, appreciate you so much. Appreciate you both. Let's get over to Alan Pollock, who's here with a tech update. Alan, my friend, as they said, we're always teasing Alan. Everyone signs the groundhogs. Are else that, but the groundhogs are one of those things standing up and go, Alan, Alan. So, Alan, Alan, <laughs> <laughs> for us great. today. Yes. Oh, I got a whole bunch of fun stuff. Um, oh. I do want to resurrect. So a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about Ooh. password strength when Jack was hosting. Uh, yeah. We'll bring that back around. Um, but I, here, you know, I always bring up something funny. Here's a tweet that somebody did about technology, and they said, 99 little bugs in the code, 99 little bugs in the code. Take one down, patch it around, 117 little bugs in the code. <laughs> so we all know how. <laughs> That's right. That's good. That's good. Not that yeah. one. I'm not we all know how it. software goes. So, yeah, if you are talking to your software vendors and you need to add a little humor to a conversation that's not going to be so great, you may want to pass it around and oh, add a couple bugs to the code. That's right. <laughs> so, as Alice, uh, great market update. You know, David, I'm trying to buy a home, and not only is, is the amount of people bidding on homes just absolutely crazy, there is a flurry of homes in the last two weeks that came on the market. So with interest mm. rates going up, your payment, depending on the cost or the price of the home, of the home, does go up. I'd say, oh man, five hundred dollars or more, and so that does make a big difference. The other thing to keep in mind is that the people that have listed higher than they should are artificially making it look like our industry, real estate, um, has a price reduction or if values are dropping. They're not. It's just that people uh-huh. are asking for too much. Realtors are letting them do it. Home appraisers are letting them do it, or they're being waived completely, and they're coming down because more properties are finally hitting the market. Not enough to change, I think, where everything's at. So technology plays a big role, but I don't think it's playing enough, and I think we're still a little bit of the Wild West, if you want my honest opinion. Um, demand is kind of creating the Wild West, but yep, it's it pretty is. tough out there for folks like me trying to buy a property. All right, let's move on. DocuSign. Um, DocuSign. They're now offering – Fully digital mortgage experience, okay, with rooms for mortgage notaries. And it's really cool. A friend of mine actually started a notary business recently, and he did his first one. He was like, man, you should see how many pages I had to print out and all this fun stuff. But the reality, excuse me. <laughs> the dogs are in the background. Um, no. The home. Is that, <laughs> yeah, isn't that fun? So they, they started this business, and you know, they were saying, oh, isn't it It's just crazy? I had to print out so many documents, and then the title agent was mad at me because I, I tried to print too many copies, so I had it for everyone prepared. And I, I told him, my, my friend's name is Mike. I said, Mike, you got to start looking to go digital. Um, we're, that was many years ago, 10, 20 years ago, and I don't know how much longer that will last. But DocuSign, you know, if, you, if you have someone that is a notary or someone that wants to become a digital notary, DocuSign has a program now. You want to check it out, but they're doing digital rooms, which is really smart. Uh, let's move on. Mortgage Cooper, David. Mortgage Cooper and Sagent. We all know who they are. They produced yep. a cloud-native mortgage servicing platform, but get how they structured the deal. This is the coolest part. And I know some lenders 
some of you folks even listening on the podcast have done this before. Um, so Mr. Cooper has completed, it's previously announced, so they've mentioned this in the past, agreement with Sagen, and under the terms of this agreement to create this cloud-native platform, Sagen has purchased the intellectual property rights from Mr. Cooper, and Mr. Cooper has received an equity stake in Sagen and this, this platform and appointed two directors to Sagen's board. So not only do they get to probably use the technology, they get to see the technology grow and expand and make it out to the general market, which brings more innovation and ideas from everybody else, but they also get to become a part of this. So really interesting. Other deals in our industry happen this way. The Mortgage Technology Conference, which is happening in two weeks, is exactly where right. deals get drawn up. So if you're going to be out there, I'll be there as well. Please reach out. Love to meet with you. But uh, that is in two weeks in Las Vegas, April 11th it starts. Uh, David, another quick item. Uh, I'm going to keep today's the other item short um, so that we could have heard the market update, but Staircase. It's a new technology, and they're giving lenders more third-party services. So think about this. You can integrate with Zapier, right? And Zapier integrates you to many other systems. Right. But in the mortgage industry, sometimes you have to waterfall different services and vendors. So you as a lender can integrate the staircase. After you've completed that, they have what they call click-to-deploy technology that lets you as the lender access a wide number of third-party services and you can waterfall them. And actually, it's so funny. I had this exact conversation with Jack many, many years ago about risk mitigation having multiple vendors. They weren't, when Jack and I were talking, set up in a waterfall process, but Staircase does that. They're saying Staircase. that they okay. also reduce the contract time, the negotiation of costs with these vendors. They've got this entire platform. The result is an average reduction of 20 minutes, by the way, in loan processing with each vendor hmm. and a reduction of four to six days in application to closing time. Which, David, let, lets me end today on this question, which we'll talk about next week, because I'm going to come back right before digital mortgage next week with a bunch of info we should talk about. Yeah. What is a digital mortgage? What is it? Right? It's not the digital mortgage conference, by the way. It's MBA Tech. I don't know why I said that. But what is a digital mortgage? I, you and I have talked about this so many times. We've had people on the platform on, on our podcast talk about it. What is it? Has it changed? Is it still the same thing? What are we even focused on anymore? Has that whole concept? I can't wait. Yeah. We always think of digital mortgage as the e-mortgage technology. SnapDocs is, again, a leader, one of our sponsors. Uh, others out there doing it. But that's really interesting. That's a great – yeah, this is, has the definition moved? Or have we, again, started presuming we have a good definition? That would be good. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tease it know, up. David, have everyone come just, back next week for you. Absolutely. Just like we redefine uh, just now what a digital mortgage is, I'm just redefining what I said last week I talked about this week, which is a bunch of different things that I'm kind of saying we need to be focusing on. And I think they're right aligned with what digital mortgage is. So next week, don't miss it. Uh, We're going to talk. Can't wait. Very good. Like a politician, if you don't like what the if if what you said last week isn't popular, just change it and reframe it. Well, what I meant was, and then go 180 degrees. You won't do that though. You're consistent all the time. Thank you so much, Alan. Very very much. I am. We got to wrap up the first half of the podcast, because we're going to get into that. But before we do, let's get over to my co-host, Jack. Uh, anything you want to comment on? We got to move on quickly, but real quick, any thoughts on the first half of the podcast? Well, just a quick comment, David. Uh, May should be an interesting month for those of us who are uh, Fed watchers. Uh, I expect mm. uh, May is when Jerome Powell is going to start. Uh, putting some color around his balance sheet management strategy. Uh, yep. That's a potential market mover on the near-term horizon. So my only really comment, uh, thanks. Good, good. 
Good, good stuff. Good, good stuff. Always bring a little extra comments that give us nothing to have our eyes focused on. Good job. Well, that ends this week's weekly mortgage update. Again, we have all these fast-moving segments we move through quickly, and now we're going to move into the Hot Topic segment. For those of you listening live, just stay right here. We'll be right, continue right on here with our Hot Topic guest. For those of you listening on a downloaded basis, just move on to the next hot, the, the next podcast, and you'll find our Hot Topic segment there. Welcome, everybody, to the Lickin' on Lending Hot Topic segment. It, again, is uh, the glorious day of March 4th. Excuse me, not March 4th, April 4th. Oh, my gosh, the same time is flying. And we have as our special guest, Jack Connick, one of my favorite people out there, such an articulate speaker that speaks in word pictures and is informative as he is entertaining when he speaks. He is the executive director of government affairs, Wiener Brodsky Kiter. Mitch Kiter, his firm. We just love Mitch, and that is such a solid, moving firm. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that they're doing, their initiatives. You need to pay attention to those. I'll talk about that at the end of the interview. But we're going to be talking about changes in D.C. and the new administration made in leadership. And No, it, it, that the, the changes in D.C. that the new administration has made in leadership for the various federal agencies and how it will impact mortgage left lending. What effects and those changes will seem to have? Well, we're getting right into it. Jack, good to have you here, friend. Thank you, David. Great to be here. You are so fun to listen to. And then team you up with Brian. You guys ought to do a podcast together because it would be the Jack and Brian show, and it would be one of the most listened to because, again, you both just feed off of each other really, really well and did such a great job. But I've got to open up with this because you helped put this concept and, and the context of, of what you and Brian were talking about were, was about how things have changed and how it is difficult to get real guidance. And you said something that stuck with me. You said, normally we see a speed limit sign that says 55. He says, I have a slide and you sent it to me. And you said, if the CFPB were running the highway department, the speed limits would read speed limit. It depends. Check our website to see tickets we've recently issued to others, again, implied to determine what we think is the appropriate speed limit. In other words, just no published guidance, no, no standards that are stated out there. Just check from our enforcement action. Thank God for good law firms like WBK, Winter Brodsky, Brodsky Kiter. That does a great job of helping us through all that morass. But uh, you are here to give us some updates on what's going on. I welcome you to the podcast. Thank you, David. And and I will tell you, the speed limit sign's gotten a lot of use uh, in the Cordray era at the yeah. Bureau. And, and we are sadly back to the future in the Chopra era of the Bureau, which a lot of people want to talk about as Bureau 2.0 or 3.0, but it's really 1.2. Uh, if you like yeah. uh, Richard Cordray, you're going to love Chopra. And if you didn't like Cordray, you are going to really hate Chopra because they are cut from the same cloth. And what is the deal with Chopra and all his tweets? My God, this guy loves the limelight and social media more than anyone else. I mean, what are we supposed to make of this? Some of this stuff is like, what are you thinking, Chopra? Well, there's a lot that goes into that. But I do agree with your observation, Dave, that Rohit Chopra has never never shied away from loving to see his name in print or hear his voice in, in the media. And that's not, if you've watched him, it's not new. He's, oh. He was a, one of the directors of the Federal Trade Commission, and he was just as outspoken there. 
he goes back to his roots as a disciple of Senator Elizabeth Warren. He was yeah. one of the original people brought into the Bureau when it was formed. And their style is very much the style of activism where you say a whole lot, you convey a lot of what you're going to do, you create a lot of trepidation, and then you let everybody run scared and do what they think it is you said you wanted without being specific. Because what happens, like the speed limit sign, is if I tell you the speed limit is you can check what I'm punishing someone else for, you're, you're not going to go right up to what you think the speed limit is. You're going to want to oh. stay short of it. And, and they like that because when they can't get a rule out to say what they'd like it to say, they can get trepidation out to hopefully shoehorn you into what they'd like you to do without ever having to stand up and publish what that is and worry about the response from the public or from the industry that you normally get through through comment to rulemaking under the Administrative Procedures Act. Yeah, I think it's almost like what the feds are doing because the feds say, they say, we are going to do this, and then they get the effect and go, okay, we're just kidding. We got the effect we want just by threatening to do that. We got everyone to kind of get in line and go where they needed. But, you know, for those that don't know you, give us a little bit of briefly, briefly, briefly. Tell us uh, if that don't know you, you've got to get to know Jack, everyone. Listeners, do go check him out. Go see what's going on. He, anytime he's speaking, make sure you sit in that session. You'll never be disappointed. You'll, you'll be as entertained as informed and maybe as informed as entertained. Maybe I better put the information part first. It is more important, although I do enjoy your personality. But for those that do not know you, Jack, you are a mortgage prevent. I'm a mortgage veteran yourself. You're not an attorney. Just talk briefly about yourself, your background, and then uh, how you ended up at with our good friend Mitch Kider at WBK. So, David, the best thing, I mean, we were joking about this earlier, but I apparently, I'm the disease that ends the life of a whole lot of prior employers, <laughs> but I actually came through the mortgage banking industry. I started in mortgage, actually started in financial services, 40-some years ago at what was then one of the biggest banks in the country, Mellon Bank, which doesn't exist anymore. But uh, I was with Mellon on the retail banking side for a few years, but shifted over to mortgage first because I liked it, and secondly because that's where they put me. But I got to know it, and so I've done every job there is in, in mortgage lending. I've been an originator. I've processed, underwritten, closed, serviced, collected sold, uh, done all that throughout the years. I was with Mellon for quite some time uh, and then went off with a couple of friends of mine to try and form a little business to help small lenders who really didn't know what they were doing in the marketplace learn what they were doing. And then I ended up at National City. And so I spent a, a number of years at National City, again, in the mortgage operation. At National City, though, I was more uh, of a operations and compliance consultant across all the banks, consumer lending, to make sure we tried our best to stay on track and do things right. And then when National City was acquired by PNC, uh, they put me into free agency, and I had known Mitch Kiter for decades. Mitch and I used to speak together at conferences. We did a session where Mitch would talk about the latest legal issues threatening the industry, and I, as a non-lawyer but practitioner, would talk about how you best could make yourself a poor target for those kinds of attacks. And so Mitch called and said, hey, we'd love to have you come down to the firm and and do that for our clients. And so I've been here now for a little over a dozen years uh, doing 
not just consulting and, and uh, compliance advice, but I also do advocacy. I work with all the regulatory and governmental agencies. And so if it has anything to do with the government, state or local, and you have a problem or a question or need guidance, I'm probably the guy you're going to talk to. Well, you are the guy. You have so much, you have so much great information. Alice, let's get over to you. Well, it's wonderful to have your expertise on the show, so thank you so much. And I agree with you all as I've been looking at uh, Rohit Chopra's, even his speech uh, last week on uh, to the University of Pennsylvania Law School, just always throwing stuff up in the air for everybody to try and catch and figure out what he's doing. Um, so I think the my question is about just, you know, obviously he's in this administrative lead position, and that has an impact on us. So what, what changes have the new administration made in leadership of each of the federal agencies that can impact mortgage lending? And, and can you tell us what effect that might have? Well, actually, Alice, I think the, the effect that you're going to see from all of the personnel changes the administration's making, and this is not unique to this administration, a new administration comes in, it has a philosophy, it has goals that it wants to achieve, and it looks at personnel, well, Generally speaking, it throws out the old as best they can. And then they start to put people into roles who think the right way, understand the marching orders of where they want to go, and are singing from the same sheet of music. And so we're seeing that at a number of the agencies. If you look at the stated goals of the administration, without question, one of the absolute top hot-button issues for this administration is – I like to refer to it as fair lending slash access to credit. And and everybody likes to talk about fair lending and stock. Not enough. Access to credit is a huge subtopic there. And when you look at most of the stuff that Chopra has put out of the, the Bureau and other people from the federal agencies newly appointed to their roles have put out, whether it's attacks on uh, overdraft fees or late charges on credit cards or whatever it is, it's all about how do people with less money access the system? Why are they paying so much? How come things are difficult? Why do groups not see the same level of success as other groups? And so the changes we've seen in large measure have been to get people who think in that manner into the leadership roles at the bank regulatory agencies so they can push the banks in that direction to get Mr. Chopra, And before him, Dave Ruggio is acting director, who was also from the same mold at the Bureau. And now you're starting to see policy in the form of news releases. And so, as we pointed out, and and Alice, you mentioned the speech that he did at the university, there's been a press release every week about junk fees and overdraft fees. Is My favorite, overdraft fees are pricing people out of the banking system interesting point of view. We've seen him try to adapt antitrust philosophy to open the access to credit, uh, alleging that if you command a marketplace and you then don't give everybody equal access, you're guilty of antitrust because you have too big a share. It's a fascinating study in how to use innovative methods to drive business the way you want it to go. But if you are not recognizing that how you reach the markets, how much of the markets you reach, how fairly you make decisions. And you made the point earlier about you have a policy, stick to the policy, do what you say you're going to do. And I would add to that, write it down, document that that's what you did, because that's going to be your only defense. And even that may not be enough, because we've also had now Director Chopra talking about how 
reliance on an artificial intelligence system where you say, look, the machine does the same thing every time infallibly, and that's true. So he's now decided that there's bias baked into the programming in artificial intelligence. So even that's not good enough. Your reliance on the computer, if the computer is discriminating, is just as much of a problem. So reaching the markets is important. How you maintain your neutrality and do things appropriately is going to be critically important to everybody that's getting into regulatory positions in the federal government. And also, as an aside, don't forget that we have a dual regulatory system. And, David, a lot of your audience may not be primarily federally regulated, even though they fall under those rules, but the states have been emboldened in this partnership as well. And we're starting to see a lot of enforcement actions from the states that follow down the same road. Oh, so true. So, so true. Jack. First of all, uh, to our listeners, I've worked with Jack Connick in the past, and he can add so much value in so many different areas. Uh, So uh, write write his name down. He's an excellent resource. But, Jack, a question. Fair lending aside, what other areas uh, does this current administration have focus on uh, in the mortgage industry? Well, not fair lending aside because it permeates everything they do, but some of the areas of concentration besides production. They are laser-focused on servicing, much more so than prior administrations have been because in their view, and there is a degree of truth in this, how you treat people once they're your customers is just important as whether or not you let them be customers in the first place and how you treat them in that process. So what you do in servicing and particularly in the collection of debt, and Alice mentioned earlier about forbearance and, and its importance in today's evaluation system. Are you granting forbearance? Are you giving it openly? Are you telling people what's available to them? Are you being uh, over uh, heavy handed in your collection methodology to use collection instead of of forbearance? I mean, all of these topics are getting a lot of attention. And you also heard Alice mention appraisals. There is a huge attack on the appraisal industry right now We just saw a major report come out from the government. They formed this PAVE working group, and and it's just issued its report on on the professional appraisal valuation circumstances and their uh, allegations that there's bias in there and it needs to be corrected. They've got all these action plans. So how you treat the appraisal process, how you interact with appraisers is going to be really important. How you service your loans is going to be really important in addition to production, all toward this goal of is everybody getting access and a fair shake. That is so interesting. Alan, let's get over to you. I know you've got a question or two. Yeah, actually, I I love these topics. I mean, no. <laughs> Imagine on the appraisal side that you, you couldn't waive appraisal and it had to go to like a board of surgeon to approve the procedure, right? That would be amazing. <laughs> but anyways, a lot to talk about, especially fair lending for a different day. But I do have one question. What changes have you really seen so far? And, you know, what do you, what do you think is going to happen in the future? There's so much at play here, various federal agencies, uh, different approaches. So what do you think is coming down the pipe? <laughs> I think you're going to see an uptick in enforcement activity, and uh, this is unfortunate because, harking back to David and my speed, my speed limit signs, 
you're going to start to see enforcement activity because that's the the thought process that Director Chopra loves, and and it will focus on these areas. And, and you see it in interesting ways. I mean, the the Townstone case, which actually has been around for a while, but this is the allegation that someone illegally discouraged people from applying for a loan in the first place because of editorial comments made on an AM radio talk show on Sundays in the Chicago market. It's a fascinating new theory that you can somehow, by talking on the radio, tell people subliminally don't apply for a mortgage in those neighborhoods where there was a crime problem in Chicago. Uh, But I think you're going to see a lot of press release, a lot of talk, a lot of public attention, very little precise regulatory actions in terms of rules issued or modifications to rules, because I think they're going to like the latitude it gives them to be enforcers, and they love publishing enforcement statistics. Here's how many people we spanked. Here's how hard we spanked them. Look how good a job we're doing without ever really telling us what the rules are. And, and so to me, this is the Delta Talk High uh, double secret <laughs> probation for those of you who watched Animal House, right? Um, you're on double secret probation. You didn't know what it was. You didn't know what the rules were, but you broke them, and by God, you're going to pay. That's hilarious. That's folks. That's just iconic, Jack, right there, right there in the middle. <laughs> so funny, Alice. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm recovering from that. That was funny. Uh, so here we are. We're in the second session of the 117th Congress. Uh, what, if anything, are we likely to see in the remainder of this term, and and what could the outcome be, and, and what do you see maybe in the next session? Well, I think for the rest of this session, you're going to continue to see the vitriol that we've seen so far in it, sadly. It is one of the most dysfunctional bodies we've had, not the most, but one of the most. And I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of bipartisanship compromise come out of this Congress because now we're in the election season. So they're going to be distracted between fiscal things that have to happen, budget appropriations and such, and cranking up their campaigns you're not going to see a whole lot of substance in part because the divide is too wide and in part because in the Senate, which everyone likes to say is in democratic control, it really isn't for legislative purposes to have absolute control. You need 60 votes to beat filibuster and and it's a 50, 50 Senate. That's not going to be control no matter what you say. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you're going to see a whole lot happen depending on what happens in the next election and whether or not, houses, either the House or the Senate, either chamber gets to reliable control. You might see legislative packages move. Uh, But again, I don't think Congress is going to be the answer to anything. I think it's going to come in the administration. It's going to come from the executive agencies because they can write rules without having to worry about votes that don't go their way. So I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see a lot of administrative action. Um, but look, elections matter. I tell people when I speak, you know, we everybody says we ought to have term limits. We do. They're called elections. So go vote. <laughs> and the fact point. is, if you're yeah. if your uniforms are not dirty, you don't get to bitch about the score, right? Get in the game. And one of the ways you get in the game is vote. Right. Yeah. Hire, you hired these people. Go hire somebody else if you don't like what they're doing, or at least try. And and actually, it was mentioned earlier. The MBA's National Advocacy Council, uh, Conference is coming up. That's where we yes. get as many people as we yeah. can to come to Washington. Yes. We actually yes. take them up on the hill 
and, and have meetings in the offices of those elected people to tell them what we think, which is vital because as mm-hmm. they decide what to do on issues, they need to hear all aspects of an argument, including our side. We're trying to provide the financing to the American dream. They say they want to put all these people in homes. Those people don't have money. They need us. They need to figure out what is going to be poison pills to us. And if we don't tell them, nobody else is going to. So we need to get active to make sure our side of the story gets told. Amen, brother. We got to get in that. That's a great ad for or a great encouragement for those of us to go in, get involved in the NBA advocacy movement. That's so important. Jack, let's go over to you. I know we got one more question or so here to go. Kind of time for us. So go ahead. You've talked about the increasing uh, focus on fair lending, uh, servicing, uh, appraisals, forbearance. What are some of the things that lenders should be considering uh, in order or concentrating on in order to best position themselves to minimize their regulatory risk? It's a great question, Jack. And I'll tell you, to me, to quote one of my, one of my favorite American philosophers, Dr. Johnny Fever from WKRP in Cincinnati, if they really are out to get you, paranoia is just good thinking. So think about life from the other side of the table, right? You know what the regulators are worried about. You should be looking at yourself critically the way they will. Uh, We actually at the firm, we have a service we call the mock exam where we'll come in and pretend to be the bureau or whoever your regulator is. If you're a bank, we'll pretend to be the OCC. But we will run you through a very tough exam using their exam manuals and their materials to show you where your weak points are. You should be doing something along those lines. Alice mentioned that the Humda data is out. The, the way a lot of fair lending complaints are brought is by doing what's called peer analysis, and they look and say, how do you compare to other people who we decide are your peers? Well, first, you ought to decide who your true peers are because for most of you, Bank of America is probably not an actual peer to you, right? So, but you should look at the Humda data for yourself and the other agencies and entities that are in your market and see how your numbers stack up against their numbers for penetration, for for what demographics you serve, for what geographic areas you serve, and realize as you do that, the world's changed because of technology. Where it used to be, we worried, Humda was about redlining. The allegation that we put a map on the wall, we drew a big red line around certain areas and said, don't go there. And the Humda data then, if you put a black dot every place you made a loan and a red dot every place you didn't, and all of a sudden all the dots in those red-lined mm-hmm. areas were red, right, you had a problem. You could see it. Well, the problem is today you don't have to be geographical to redline. We've seen enforcement allegations that say you're redlining a population because across all your numbers, unmarried yeah. Latino women get loans at a, l- a lesser rate or they get them but at a higher cost than white married couples. So we can now assess your lending patterns across the demographic split of all of those things you ask for in that government monitoring section. So race, gender, you know, where you're from, what little subdivision of population you belong to ethnically, all of that. We can now analyze the data to see if you're serving a group differently than other groups. You should be doing that. The data's there on you and your competitors in the Humda file. You should be looking at yourself 
because you want to know before the regulator what they're going to come in and ask you about. You're going to want to have an answer for it. We're getting some questions in from some of our listeners. One of them is, is uh, it sounds like they've gone through your um, mock review and they said, outstanding. It shined the light on some things we had no clue of. We were, we thought we were well prepared, but this is a must do for every lender listening to this podcast. So good. Thank you. Question is they, uh, another person asked, uh, so that was a statement of endorsement from one of our listeners who obviously <laughs> called to the program with you. So cool. Good as to you. Um, one of the questions that just came in from one of our listeners said, is, is doing the mock audit a reasonable defense? Is it is something that does help you defend the fact that you have taken the initiative to look at this rather than having the, the, the calf and a new pen look, as we say here in Texas? In other words, you're surprised. What's this about? What are you doing? So is this a reasonable defense? I will tell you that there's no absolute way to answer that, Dave, but a couple of thoughts relative to that. The first is uh, one of the huge concentration areas for the Bureau as they open an exam is to come in and look at your compliance management system. How do you manage compliance at your company? And it's essentially risk management. I mean, it's not unique to lending. It's business agnostic. I mean, you, can, you should do this at a manufacturing plant or a bakery or whatever it is you run, but but you ought to have a good compliance management system. And actually, the CFPB's exam manual has a chapter devoted to it that's really good and can help your business. But essentially, it's figure out what you want everybody doing, train them how to do it, make sure you retrain them periodically how mm -hmm. you want it done, monitor them to make sure they're doing it that way, and if they're not, fix it. Yep. And then keep monitoring to make sure it's fixed. So that, in a nutshell, is a compliance management system that's also good risk management for any business. And so if they see you doing that, they're going to have more confidence that you are doing your best. Even if there are problems that arise, you're fixing them and all that's good. The problem with any self-assessment is depending on what it says and what you do about it, it can either be great evidence that you're trying your best or an absolute smoking gun. So you need to yeah. be careful. And so yeah. One of the reasons we developed the mock exam was so that at least if you're doing the review and you've hired a law firm to do it, yes. you're doing it under control of attorney-client privilege, and so you can shield some of what might come out of it. But I will tell you that you should absolutely know what's going on. You should want to do that to make your business better for just yeah. the compliance side of it. Yeah. If you really want to be good and do as much business as possible, that's a way to figure it out. Look at what you're yeah. doing. Make sure you're doing it the way you expect. Test. Because I will tell you, unless you're a, a mom-and-pop shop operating out of one room in your basement, if you've got eight branches, the regulators are smart about this. They'll come in and they'll get a copy of your procedures and policies and they'll go to the branch farthest away from your headquarters and walk in there and ask people how they're doing things. And if they don't match the procedures, you got a problem. So you if a, you have yeah. a look, you may have a problem you don't know about. You never want to have that happen. Yeah. And, and you speak to a great point. Having it done by a law firm, you do have the advantage of they can't subpoena your, uh, from the law firm. It, it sits behind that, that wall of attorney-client yeah. privilege. So, very good point. Yeah, so I will tell you as a non-lawyer, <laughs> um, yeah. everybody likes to believe that that's an absolute vault. It's not, but it's pretty darn good. Pretty so darn good. It's yeah. something, if, yeah, if you're going to do self-assessment, 
you probably want to have, you know, whatever counsel you use at least involved in the process so that they can help you figure out how to get the best ability to protect yourself while you're going through the process. Because you, if you see something you're gonna, if it needs fixing, you don't necessarily want to say, oh, we got a huge problem and we sure as hell hope we fix it. Um, you want to be able to get through the process before you have to talk about the process. And so that yeah. helps in that regard. Yeah, great stuff. We're out of time again, Jack. You've knocked the ball out of the park again. I just enjoy listening to you talk. It's time just flies so fast. Alan Pollock, who's still on the line, said, my new favorite, best quote of the day, if your uniform isn't dirty, you don't, you, you don't <laughs> complain about the score. Alan, uh, he's always looking for a good quote, and that's a good one. That's excellent. I heard you say, give that in Phoenix when we were together. Jack, thank you so much. Say hi to Mitch and the team. I hear you guys are growing. I heard Mitch was busy last week training a whole bunch of new associates. That's so awesome. You guys provide such a valuable service to the industry. I encourage people to check in, check you out. We'll have Jack's contact information as well as the contact information for Wiener Brodsky Kiter uh, in the show notes, so be sure to follow up. We did get confirmation. I checked with my assistant while we're doing the podcast. Brian Montgomery will be here next week. We're going to catch up with him on a pre-recorded basis as his schedule allowing to be here live. We like we have Jack. We always like him live. Like you all, all you guests to be here live. So Brian and I will catch up. I'll try to get uh, Jack Nunnery to join me on that interview. We'll try to make it as dynamic as possible, but it'll be fun. In fact, Jack Connick, we may have to get you to come in, and then you can join in asking Montgomery some questions here. It'd be, it was, you guys did such an awesome job, so it'll be fun. Well, thank you, David. It's so good to have you here, folks. Be sure to come back. Brian Montgomery with us next week. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Mobility MMI, Modix, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDoc Success Kit, Lender Toolkit, Total Expert, Form Free. And we're so grateful, most of all, for you, our listeners, tuning in and sharing this podcast with others. I was at a Black Knight function this last at, at the uh, conference and i was talking to mike brown and he says you know what dave i think it's required listening here at at black knight a lot of people listen at least my group listen to or required to listen to your podcast because the amount of information so mike thanks for that shout out and we give you a shout out back folks have a great rest of your week look forward to having you back here list next week with our regular podcast and with our special guest brian montgomery have a great week everybody bye You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.